Well, good morning and welcome to Mount Olive. So glad that you have joined us today. Uh, it's December and you know what that means, right? Kids, you know what that means. Yeah, it's getting to that time where anticipation and excitement is kind of growing for many of us. And, uh, you know, there's uh, parties, there's uh, gifts, there's eggnog, there's oranges. And, uh, and for some of us, there's mistletoe. Uh, not sorry, kids, but for some of us, there's mistletoe. It's a pretty exciting time of year. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, all of those things are a sidebar, sometimes even a distraction to the event of Christmas. Now, you've probably been to, you know, the Christmas program at your elementary school or at the church where, you know, the kids act out the story of Christmas, you know, the story of Jesus coming and it's kind of cute and it's funny and eventually Jesus shows up as a baby doll and they place him in a manger. It's like, ah, so cute. Or maybe, you know, you've been to like a real drama or seen a movie that kind of displays the, the tension and the struggle that the first Christmas would have actually been. And it's done so, so well and so realistic. And at the end, a real baby comes out, but still a baby. And Jesus is put in a manger, right? And here's the thing that we can begin to think as we hear the Christmas story. Babies are typically cute and cuddly and helpless and needy, right? It's like every baby comes the same. They're cute and cuddly and helpless and needy. And we can hear and we can see and we can experience the Christmas story. And as Jesus comes out as a baby in a manger, we can miss the significance of who that babe is. So over the next uh, few weeks, we want to see who is this Jesus? We're going to do this. Who is this babe in a manger? We're going to do this by looking through uh, uh, three lenses at the person of Jesus. And the three lenses are seeing Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. Now, as we, you know, read the New Testament, as you open up the, uh, the pages of the New Testament, Jesus shows up as Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Now, the word Christ is not a middle name for Jesus. It's not a last name for Jesus. It's actually a Greek word, Christos, and it's a translation of a Hebrew word where we get the word Messiah. And so Christ is not a name. It's actually a title, much like Messiah. Messiah and Christ mean the exact same thing. So what do Messiah and Christ mean? It means the anointed one. And as the Jewish people were waiting for their Messiah... They were waiting for their anointed one, but Jesus didn't just come as the Jewish Messiah. He came as the anointed one for the Gentiles as well, which is why we get this word Christos or the Christ, the anointed one. He came as the anointed one for all of us. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the anointed one? Well, we're going to discover that through these three lenses. Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, and Jesus as king. Now, as we read, uh, to understand these, these concepts more fully, you kind of have to be well-versed in your Old Testament because Jewish people would have understood this from their history. And so in the Old Testament, the first part of your Bible, we read about prophets and priests and kings, and they had specific roles. Each had a unique role within the nation of Israel. And we're going to talk about those unique roles and how they applied to Jesus, that babe in a manger, but also... They did not only have a unique role, there was this, this consensus, this, this unity of role that each of them carried. And the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 shows us this commonality that priests, prophets, and kings all had. And he says this, the elders and dignitaries are the head, 
The prophets who teach lies are the tale. Those who guide this people mislead them. And those who are guided are led astray. And what Isaiah is uh, defining for us is an age-old proverb that was true then and it's true today as well. And the proverb is this, as the leader goes, the people go. As the leader goes, the people go. And you can see this in in the history of the nation of Israel. When their leaders, for example, their priests, their prophets, and their kings were doing well, the nation did well, right? When their prophets were speaking the words of God, the nation prospered. When their priests did the work of God, the nation did well. When the, the, when the nation had a godly king, the nation prospered. They were leaders, and as the leader goes, the people go. But although this is true of the nation of Israel, it's true of you as well, isn't it? Because all of us, we all follow someone, and we all follow something. And what you follow determines your direction, determines your destination. It determines the quality of your life, right? As the leader goes, as the one you follow goes, so go you. So prophet, priest, and king, there was this this idea of leadership. What kind of leader would lead you to the place where you actually want to be? But in terms of prophet, there was a unique role of leadership for the prophets. And Jesus, that babe in a manger, came also as a, as a prophet. Not just a leader that we can follow, but a prophet. Specifically, a prophet. So what does it mean? What, what was the job description of a, a leader or a prophet? If Jesus came as prophet, what does that even mean? Well, Jeremiah gives us a definition of what the prophets were. And he does it in the negative sense, in the sense that they missed it. But here's the definition of a prophet. He says this, I, this is God speaking, I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. Whose message? Their message, God says. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed whose words? My words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. And here we see the definition of what a prophet is. As clearly and concisely as I can say it, he's just said prophets represent God to the people. This is what prophets do. This is the job description of a prophet. And the nation did well when the prophets represented God. But Jeremiah tells us the nation did not do well when the prophets represented themselves, but telling everyone they were representing God, when they were false prophets. Now, if prophets represent God to the people, isn't it true that you and I have all wanted a prophet in our life? I imagine there's been times in your life when when you've wondered, you've been in a situation or a circumstance and you've called out to God, maybe not verbally, but in your own self, God, if you're out there, would you just show up? God, I have this situation. I don't know what decision to make. Would you just tell me what to say? Would you tell me what to do? Would you tell me the direction I should take? In that moment, maybe without knowing it, do what you were calling for, do what you were wanting, a prophet, you were saying, God, I want, I want you to, I want someone who represents you to tell me what to do, to tell me how to get out of this or tell me how to move forward in this situation. What you were wanting for and what you were longing for, what you were wanting was a prophet, someone who would represent God to you. Well, this desire, this need for a prophet 
is age old. In fact, the greatest prophet in Israel's history, it happened to be their first prophet, understood that although he was a prophet and although many prophets, people who would represent God, many prophets would come in the history that there was this need for an ultimate prophet. And the prophet I'm speaking of is the prophet Moses. You've probably heard of Moses. Moses, the guy that went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, that Moses. Moses was a prophet. And Moses, the greatest and first prophet in Israel's history, already looked forward and said, we need a new, an ultimate kind of prophet. And he said this, prophesying. He said this, the Lord your God, speaking to the nation of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, but different from me. Like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him because he will be a prophet who literally represents God to you. He is the ultimate prophet and a prophet is coming for you. Well, more than a thousand years after Moses would make this prophecy, that prophet would show up. And if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 12, and we're going to kind of camp out in John chapter 12 as, the, as John, and as he records Jesus' words, kind of fleshes out for us this prophecy, what kind of prophet it was that would come. And we're going to find out who Jesus really is and what it means that he came as prophet. Starting in verse 37, John writes this, and he's kind of setting up the table for what Jesus is going to say. John writes this. He said, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. In essence, he says, listen, Moses had said, hey, there's a prophet coming. When he shows up, you should listen to them, to him. Jesus shows up. The prophet shows up. And guess what? The people did not listen. They did not believe. And Jesus performed all kinds of signs. The word signs here is the idea of miraculous signs, meaning this, when Jesus raised the dead, when Jesus fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food, when Jesus uh, 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 cast out demons and evil spirits, when Jesus healed those who were sick, it wasn't just so people could be like, wow, that's a really cool trick. Do some more tricks, Jesus. No, the point of all of it was one thing and one thing only, so that they might believe. And yet, even though Jesus did all these signs, proving that he was the prophet, they still would not believe. And then John, if you continue to read, I'll just kind of give you the Coles Nose version. John continues and he says, actually, the prophet Isaiah, remember that prophet I shared earlier, 600 years before Jesus came, already said when the Messiah, when the prophet comes, they won't believe in him. This was already seen ahead of time. But although they would not, many would not believe. John says this, five verses later. Yet at the same time, even though many among the lead, uh, did not believe, even among the leaders, many among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, who were also spiritual leaders, the religious leaders, because of the Pharisees, they would not, these secret believers would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And in John's gospel story of Jesus, we know of at least two men who fit this category. The first one shows up in John 3. You've probably heard of him. His name's Nicodemus. And we're told he comes to Jesus at night under the cover of night, probably because he was wrestling with this idea. Who is Jesus? But he was not willing to yet go public. There was this fear. The other one 
is a man that shows up later in John's gospel. His name is Joseph of Arimathea. And we're told that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. And yet after Jesus' death and crucifixion, he boldly went to Pilate and said, can I have the body of Jesus? And then he buried Jesus in his own tomb, a tomb that had been prepared for him. And so he went public eventually, but at this moment, he was still, he was still bad. Who is Jesus? He would not openly acknowledge for fear of the religious leaders. And then John kind of teases us out more what was also happening. It wasn't just fear. It says, he says this, For they loved human praise more than praise from God. And this actually touches a piece that's true for all of us, isn't it? As we follow Jesus and there's opportunity, maybe in your school or with your friend group or in your workplace or in your community, there's an opportunity in your university to kind of stand out, step out, and let people know that you're a follower of Jesus and yet you hold back. And part of it may be a fear and part of it is that we really want people to like us. In fact, we're maybe more concerned about people liking us than maybe God being pleased with us. There's this tension, but here's where the tension comes from, and it was true of Nicodemus, it was true of, of Joseph, and it's often true of us. There is a question, a question that they wrestled with, a question that we must wrestle with, and it is the most important question in human history. It's the most important question in your history, in your entire life. The most important question in your life is not what career will you choose? It is not whom will I marry? It's not are we going on that vacation? Your most important question is not should we have children or how many should we have? Should I date him or her or should I not? The most important question in your history is a question that you must wrestle with to the ground. It's a question they wrestled with to the ground as well. And the question is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is the most important question that you will ever wrestle with in your history, in your existence. Who is Jesus? Who is he really? And the follow-up question is, and what are you going to do about it? And see, this is the question they were wrestling with. They, they weren't sure about Jesus, right? And so they were afraid and they wanted the praise of men. And this is something we, if we aren't sure about who Jesus is, we will always live in fear. And we will always be ashamed. We have to wrestle this to the ground. Well, Jesus, as he begins to speak, speaks to the answer to this question. As John has set it all up, he said they wouldn't believe in him. They were, they were wanting the praise of men more than God. He starts to quote Jesus and Jesus' answer to this question. And here's how John quotes him. Then John, Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. (laughs) We don't quite grasp how crazy a statement this was. This is an unbelievable, outlandish statement. What Jesus is doing, he is using prophet talk. He is saying, listen, I don't just represent me. When you believe in me, you're not just believing in me because I don't just represent me. I represent someone else. Remember what we said earlier about prophets, that prophets represent God to the people? This is what Jesus is claiming. He's saying, I don't just represent me, I represent God to you, the one who sent me. Later, we're going to find out, Jesus said, your heavenly father, my heavenly father, God sent me to you. 
So he's saying, I represent God. But here's, the, here's where Jesus just goes, in some people's idea, way too far. He goes right to the edge. He doesn't just say, hey, listen, I'm a prophet like other prophets. Because prophets would say this, hey, God told me, so now I tell you. God has spoken to me, so now I speak to you. I'm going to speak words to you. Jesus doesn't make it about the message, which is what most prophets would have done in the history of the world. What Jesus says, he makes it all about him. He builds the entire thing on himself. Look, look again what he says. He says, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in what? Not whoever believes in the words I speak. Not whoever believes in my message. That's what prophets would have said. I'm representing God's message to you. Jesus made it all about himself. And he said, whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me. And this is where you should, when you hear this from Jesus, you should just dismiss him. If anyone says things like this, you should dismiss them because what Jesus is claiming is to be the exact representation of God. And if you think I'm over-exaggerating it, what Jesus says next brings total clarity what he means. Look what he says. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Not, hey, you've seen a representation. He's saying, I am God. And when someone says that they are God, you should walk away because they're obviously a liar and they've lost their mind. They've gone crazy. And you should dismiss that. Unless, unless it's true. And then everything changes. And Jesus came out and said, I am the exact, I am not a prophet. I am the prophet. I think actually the apostle Paul had the right response to Jesus's crazy claim. I don't know if you know the Apostle Paul's story, but the Apostle Paul, when he heard the claim of Jesus, he went and he, he, he supported and held the coats of the people who stoned and murdered and killed the very first Christian because he heard this and he said, this guy has lost his mind and this is dangerous, dangerous language. We cannot have followers of Jesus. And he went to the extreme because that's what you do when people make extreme statements. And he, had, he supported the killing of the first Christians. He understood something that we don't always understand as we wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? That Jesus took out the middle ground. Paul understood there is no neutral ground with Jesus. There's no middle ground. There's no indifference to the person of Jesus. Jesus made statements that don't allow us to be indifferent to him. Jesus is not a cute, cuddly baby in a manger. He is dangerous. He's not just a nice rabbi who had some good teaching. He is dangerous. He made some statements claiming God, and you don't make those kinds of statements. And so he made it his life mission to erase the Christian faith from the face of the earth. Because he knew that if we wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? There's no middle ground. And so he became the greatest persecutor of the faith until he met the risen Jesus. And suddenly when he saw a Jesus who he had heard died, rise back to life, and Jesus showed up to him, suddenly Paul realized something. He realized what Jesus had said. 
that he had just seen the Father, that he had just seen God in the flesh. And overnight, Paul went from the church's greatest persecutor to the church's greatest supporter, and he has probably spread the gospel further than any other person in human history. Because Paul understood that there's a question we all have to wrestle to the ground, a question you have to wrestle to the ground. And the question is this, who is Jesus? And there's no middle ground. Jesus didn't allow it with the claims he made. He's not just a cute babe in a manger. He claimed to be God. What are you going to do with that? Jesus continues, says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in dark. See, Jesus didn't come into the world to say, okay, all you dummies in the dark, stinks to be you, right? No, I came as a light. Well, God is a light. Yeah, but I'm God to you. I am the exact representation of God. I am the light to show you the Father because you've been wondering, God, would you show up? God, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm the light. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come, into the, uh, come to judge the world but to save the world. And here's an interesting, many of us have this idea of God that he is this judge just waiting to hit us over the head every time we make a mistake. Well, if Jesus is the exact representation of God who he says he is. Jesus says, that's not your heavenly father. He is not standing in heaven looking down saying, oh, I'm just waiting for you to mess up so I can just judge you, condemn you, destroy you. Jesus says, your heavenly father, as he is represented, did not come to judge. He did not come to judge He came to save. This is your heavenly father. Came to save you. Now, does that mean there is not a judge? Jesus says, ah, there is a judge. For the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. And here's the interesting thing about God's salvation about the word that Jesus has just spoken. The same word that brings salvation today will be the word that brings condemnation at the end. There is no new word that will be given. There is one word that is given by which you are saved. And Jesus says, one day if you have rejected that word, that same word will be the word that brings condemnation. And the word is the word that God has given to us. The word is Jesus. Anyone who believes, he has given us the command. And that's what Jesus goes on to say, for I did not speak on my own. It's not like I'm speaking by my, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And here's what I've spoken. I know that his command, which I just spoke, his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what? The Father has told me to say. See, I know that His command, the command of your Heavenly Father, is a command that leads to life because He sent Jesus to save us. And do you know what the command of the Father was? It's the command Jesus has just spoken, which was what? Believe in me. This is the command that brings life. Believe, Jesus would say. 
believe in me. A command that brings salvation today, but one day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the question will be, and it will be the question, the answer to this question, who is Jesus? Which is why this is the most important question you will ever wrestle to the ground. And the question will be, did you believe in Jesus? Did you follow the command of your heavenly father, which said, believe in Jesus, which is salvation today. But if you did not, that same word will be your condemnation on judgment day. So the question I want you and I this Christmas to wrestle to the ground is, it's the most important question of your existence. Who is Jesus? We know what Jesus said about Jesus. I could tell you what I say and believe about Jesus. But the question is for you, because when you stand before your heavenly father, when you stand before Jesus, the question won't be, what did your dad believe about me? What did your uncle, what did your pastor, the question will be, what did you believe about me? Who is Jesus? See, prophets represent God to the people. And Jesus did not come as a prophet. He came as the ultimate prophet. Jesus came as the exact representation of God to us. So you know how many of us, we've had this desire for a prophet. God, would you just show up? God, I'm in this situation. God, would you just speak to me? God, I just need to know what you would say. And God, this Christmas, your heavenly father says, I have. And every time you look to that babe in a manger, he is not just a babe in a manger. I have shown up in the person of Jesus. If you want to know who I am, look to Jesus. If you want to know what I say, look to Jesus. Listen to him. Your heavenly father has shown himself to you. He showed himself to you by sending his son Jesus. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, us, who are under the law. God has shown himself to you. You know, I said earlier that as the leader goes, the people go. We all follow. All of us follow someone or something. Where does the one you follow lead you to? And does it lead you to where you want to be? I would dare say that if Jesus is the light of the world and if he's eternal life, there is no better leader to lay down your submission to than the person of Jesus. So my prayer for all of us this Christmas is that we would see Jesus for who he is. And the question is, who is Jesus? He is the exact representation of God to us. We don't have to wonder, who is God? And would he just show up? God has shown up in the person of Jesus. And he invites us to follow him. He is a babe in a manger, but he is so much more than just a babe. A cute, cuddly baby in a manger. You know, the way the apostle Paul put it, after he had seen Jesus, in Colossians chapter 115, he said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, <laughs> which means God who is spirit, God who we cannot see because we are physical, God who is beyond our seeing has just become seen. He's become known to us. 
And so as you consider the babe in a manger, may each of us, may our hearts be filled with the knowledge that he is so much more than just a babe. May you lay down your allegiance to him. May you wrestle with the most important question in your existence this Christmas. Who is Jesus? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that although we have, as as a human race, have been in the dark, that you did not leave us in the dark, but you sent your light. You've made yourself known. You've not hidden yourself from us. And that we can know you through the person, your exact representation, your son, Jesus. And so as we enter the Christmas season, Father, may it not be lost on us, the significance of what we're celebrating here. And Father, for those of us right now who are maybe in the place where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were, and we're wrestling with that question, who is Jesus? And we're just not quite sure. Father, may we not rest until we wrestle that question. Father, may you open our eyes Even this Christmas, as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, may our eyes be open more fully to who you are and what you have done on our behalf by sending your son. Father, we just want to thank you and we want to praise you and honor you for the gift that you've given us. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.